for me, I think it would be weird to go to a place and have it not be at least some of it being locally sourced. Right. Like we're like, we're beyond the point where that should even be a talking point anymore. That should just be, why wouldn't you? It's so easy. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, how does all that great food that we're producing turn into a, a great dish and a, some great tastes, a great restaurants that takes great executive chefs. And, and I've got an executive chef with me today. We're going to talk about kind of the, the nature of curated tasting menus. A lot of questions on that. Like, uh, I understand farming. Uh, I understand eating. Uh, I understand restaurants. I don't know if I understand curating uh, so I want to welcome Chef Travis Passerati um, and Travis, uh, welcome Farm to Table Talk. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Travis, what do you do as an executive chef when you're, you're focusing on like curating a menu? So how do I become a curator of fine food at a restaurant? So what's a curator? What do you do when you curate? Um, you know, it's, it's strong to find dishes that kind of like play well together, you know, so that way when it's, you just like lead the guests to have like a little bit more of like in line of an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that if there's kind of like an overarching, you know, like we, we use seasonality as like a big backbone when it comes to like the curation because we find that things that tend to grow at the same time of the year together also tend to eat very well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's pretty wild. Uh, but then, uh, you know, just kind of like using that mentality, using, um, you know, trying to keep flavor profiles like different enough, but, uh, you know. So, um, well, I think the first time I ever heard Curator talked about, it was, a, it was in museums. So, or an art gallery. Mm-hmm. And so you'd, you would definitely be focusing on uh, the experience. Right, right. And, and, and I suppose in some weird way, if you really stretch it, I could say that you're kind of kind of eating up this whole enjoyment of the art and it's affecting you. And so coming to your, coming to your restaurant, I suppose, uh, people are seeing something again that you're, you're curating. You're creating this, experience which are flavors and the whole ambiance of the restaurant and so forth so let's let's place this a little bit so describe describe your restaurant and so then we can back into how the food gets there and how it gets curated um i'd say the tasting kitchen is you know a very italian driven uh mediterranean kind of coastal mediterranean um like new california restaurant which is like a lot of words to say that were most heavily inspired by italy but also the other you know mediterranean facing countries in europe um and then we try instead of focusing on imports to really source all of the product or as much of the product we can 
um, as locally to us as possible. So where does the term California cuisine fit into that? Um, I think it's the variation or it's like a, a variation of kind of like the farm to table movement kind of, you know, created by Alice Waters at Chez Panisse. Um, that like in Southern California in particular, there's been, or a wave of food exists um, that, you know, like was started here that was very vegetable driven. It was very fresh, um, you know, like very, you know, kind of just like very simple, very straightforward produce driven cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of our neighbors on Abbott Kinney, uh, Travis Lett, uh, who was like with the founding chef at Jelena, you know, played an extremely strong role in kind of like the development of this like Southern California, New California uh, cuisine. But it's something that's kind of at this point, you know, exists thoroughly throughout the city um, and also in other cities, you know, which is kind of, I think, what helps give something a little definition. So when you you know, go to New York and you eat at a restaurant that says they're doing, you know, California cuisine. Um, but I think the focus, you know, it was always, always on freshness, always on seasonality. Uh, so I think that that's something that we just really try to embody. So let's help people that aren't from the Los Angeles area picture this a little bit more, like where you are between downtown Los Angeles or Beverly Hills or other places they've heard about or, or you know, or Venice Beach or, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, this, describe a neighborhood where your restaurant's situated. Uh, we are properly square in, the, in Venice. Um, we're on Abbott Kinney, which is a big, like walking, um, like shopping boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, historically, it very long time ago, it was a canal uh, that was on the other side of like a railway, um, which would have been, you know, a little bit closer to the turn of the century. But it was a, a big, I mean, I guess then, yeah, Venice was a big uh, commodities hub. Um, but now it's, you know, for the last 40 or so years, it's been kind of like a, a counterculture, you know, Mecca. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the restaurant... Yeah, the restaurant is, uh, you know, it's properly rustic, but like not a little overstated. We've got lots of concrete, lots of, you know, exposed brick. We've got a, an olive tree that had its uh, 100th birthday uh, five or six years ago uh, that kind of graces our dining room and is a big, like, iconic part of the restaurant. So how many people can you see? Um, I think with patio, we hover in like the 120 range. It's pretty big then for, for what you're doing. It's a good size. It, yeah, it's a, it's a good size. Would it do two turns a night or better? Um, on a busy night, I would say um, somewhere in kind of the two and a half. Uh, we, we can have a pretty vibrant bar scene as well. And we have a, like an ample space for the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a good amount of seats and also like a couple communal tables. And so in that space on like a busy night, you know, people will shuffle, you know, three or four times through instead of, instead of just two. I want to go back to this idea of curating uh, a tasting menu. So that would suggest that people that come to your restaurant, they're just not trying to figure out, gee, how can I get enough calories to get me through another day? I mean, they're, they're looking for a special experience. Yeah. Uh, 
and and I think just as you get a feast for the eyes and going to some of the wonderful galleries or, or or maybe even a concert, you get a feast for the ears. You're literally getting a feast, and people are coming in and getting these uh, these flavors that you put together that you have you have curated. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, it's it's so I would imagine some of some of the folks that come. Uh, maybe it's a special event because they splurge a little bit. This isn't something that you're going to have for your every day that you're going to be going out to necessarily out to eat because you're going to be a little, you're pricier than, than I would guess than, than, than some kind of average restaurant. So people, some people are saving up and saying this special event. I want to get on the list. We're going to go get to, you know, we're going to go have a, an experience here at the tasting kitchen. Um, I'm putting words in your mouth. I'm just trying to trying to imagine the motivations when people show up and saying, other than the fact that uh, my stomach's growling, let's let's run by and get a bite. Um, yes. They're they're really coming for an experience as if they were going to again a gallery or a concert or something like that that gives an experience. I'm guessing. Yeah, one of um, I think for like yeah, particularly with the curation, one of the things that's become like a you know a stalwart part of our program is. We, you know, you can order all, anybody who walks in can order a la carte, you know, that's never an issue, but then we offer um, two dinners. Uh, one of them we just call like the tasting kitchen dinner. Uh, and then the other is, you know, the chef's dinner. Uh, but I think that's what really like allows us, you know, to like build these experiences because it's not anything that's ever, I mean, to say it frankly, it's, they're not menus that are written down, you mm -hmm. know, like you'll, and a lot of it comes from, you know, products that we want to, that we just really love. And then we want to like, make sure anybody who does that dinner is going to like, is going to get the tomatoes. You know, it's like, we love it. It's so good right now. Everybody should be eating this. So it's got almost, you know, it's like, if you do this like tasting kitchen dinner, um, you know, you're, you're not only going to get like the things that are the favorites, but like fun combinations of foods. Um, you, frankly, that through my eyes like how I you experience how I would be eating if I was sitting down at the table um and then like with the chef's dinner we also do use it as a uh, a time to showcase dishes that you know we could only get like limited amount of product on you know so if we only received enough of something to make six we'll save it we'll put it on like this chef's choice dinner it'll never really even be on the menu and so it kind of allows guests to have something that's uh, just so I don't like to say special because then I feel like it makes the other menu feel not special. Um, but I'd say it may be a little bit more unique and of experience. You know, they may get some stuff that um, is a little harder to come by or, you you know, yeah, there's a little more labor intensive. So it's not something that we, you know, planned on making a significant amount of. So if the word got out that the, the host of one of the top, farming podcast in the world number rank number three out of the top 30 in the world was coming to los angeles and wanted to come by and and it happened to be me but you know and i'm coming <laughs> i'm coming in could i just say hey um surprise me you know make uh i i just want to have you you pick out things pick out uh, pick out the wines pick out the foods uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try whatever you put in front of me. Uh, can you approach it that way? hundred percent. 
that's, I mean, essentially that's, we like to say that, you know, if people have requests, you know, I want to make sure that guests are going to have like the best time that they possibly can have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really like our strength in, in doing this curation is the, like the fluidity behind it. Is yeah. It's not really something, it's not, you're going to a restaurant that also offers like a prefix kind of a thing, you know, like if, you know, which we leave like a little bit more fluid because if, you know, people have allergies and are on diets and, you know, they have lifestyle things that we want to be as gracious in our accommodation as possible. So it really allows us to like curate menus for each table, you know, so it's that like the person sitting next to you could be doing the same thing and you guys could get completely different foods, you know, and I think that's something that you know, one of the things that strikes me that that approach, though, uh, it's not classic marketing, because I think in marketing, you're having what sells, which you, you do want to be able to have what a customer wants. But you got this whole seasonality thing and what makes special and what catches your eye and what you're and and you start with, in some respects, going to the farmer's market and knowing what's in and what's fresh and what looks good to you, and then come back and and sometimes you're putting the menu together. Explain that because how much of the time is it that well look I'm I'm going here with a list uh, versus I'm going here and finding out what's really looking good that I can make a menu that re- reflects this. I mean, it, it would seem to me you do it. You have to do a little bit of both, don't you? For sure, you know, not every, and that, and even like, you know, not every dish makes it from from being a scribble on a piece of paper to a plate. Um, but I'd say, I mean, we're extremely uh, lucky. Our The farmer's market that we have here is absolutely tremendous. Um, I've been making, or I've been kind of transferring the majority of our buying uh, ever since we like started like coming back from COVID. Uh, making sure that we're giving as, you know, that I'm giving as much of my money to the local farming communities I physically can. Um, that was something that was really, really important to me. And I think like, you know, the farmers see that and they like, you build relationships. So it's being there be like, hey, you really like these figs, I'm going to have them next week. And mm-hmm. it's like, all right, okay. So like, you know, figs are coming in next week. I know I want to use them. Like, let's sit down. And like, you know, I'll like take a moment and, you know, maybe flip through like a couple past year menus, see if there's anything that I really love doing or remember doing, or if it's going to be a year where we do something new or, um, you know, it really, I don't know. I think the best part about it is you get, I mean, I feel like the market helps instead of it being like, okay, here's my piece of paper with my ideas on it as like a something that i'm bound to and instead it's kind of like you go to the farmer's market like you see what's eating really well you can you know if i eat a nectarine and i'm like oh my god this is the best nectarine i've ever had then i can go to the person working at the stand some you know a lot of the time is the farmer which is really fantastic and be like how long are you going to have these yeah you know, yeah. and if they say it's just starting, I'm going to have them for six weeks. I'd be like, cool, I can go into like, you know, deeper menu development. And, you know, that could be like an item, you know, that is on the menu for all to enjoy. Or if he looks at me, it's just like, you know, this is like my crop just finished. This is just like the last bumper and they're amazing. 
then it's like, all right, well, maybe this is something that's going to go like on the chef's choice or even just something, you know, that we use to make um, like an amuse or just, you know, like a little snack that just is on for one day. You know, I think it really. I've been to the Santa Monica farmer's market and I'm really impressed with it. And, you know, some of the things it does different than, than others. Uh, it's in a beautiful setting. It's not far from the ocean. It's a, and a lot of activity there. One of the things I remember, I always remember from Santa Monica is that uh, they post in the center, they used to in the center of the market, they had the farming practices of each farmer. So you could go with like a little card file sort of thing at the time and, and kind of double check. So you could, you could research anybody you were, you were shopping from. And, and one other thing is that they literally flew the flag of organic. So it's the only place I have ever known that you could look down at the tents and you could see uh, someplace that had a flag up and it was one that might be strictly certified organic. And, um, and the ones that weren't usually had a story about why they weren't certified or are willing to explain their process. So yeah. uh, did, did I get that right? I got the yeah. right market. Yep, you are. Um, I think one of the things that makes that market the most unique is you, the phrase that you see is we grow what we sell. Mm-hmm. And you are not allowed to sell products at that market that you do not grow yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I know that there's other markets that have wonderful co-op, you know, type of like mentality and exercises and, uh, you know, and that people are doing it the right way. I'm not trying to speak badly on all other markets, um, but it provides a level of transparency uh, as a buyer that I know, I just, you know, you know where it's coming from. Like when they show up, they have a list of the things that they planted and a list of the things that they're bringing and somebody comes and they double check it and they check their table. And if there's something that's on the table, that's not on their list, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Hey, like, well, this isn't on your list. You are like, you don't grow this. Like, why is this here? You know? So it provides like, yeah, just like a level of transparency as a buyer that then, you know, you can ask questions. Like if I'm talking to like my, Let's see, that's a good example. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just allows like to have like really fluid communication. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, directly with the farmer, like, oh, like this is new. How's it growing this year? Is like, is it doing well on the farm? And they're like, it's like you know, yeah, like we always said all of these other products, and it seemed like tomatoes would be a good fit. So this year, like we planted a bunch of tomatoes, and yeah, they're doing great. Like here, you know, and then it like. I don't know. It really, the amount of community that exists like at the farmer's market is really incredible. And just, even though it's a place where a lot of people are, you know, clearly all selling fresh produce, uh, the, like even the camaraderie amongst like all of the people at the booths is really great. And it's just, I don't know. It's a deep, early guys, in the morning, it's always a good way to start the day. Some, some places you can spot the chefs because they're dragging little wagons through sometimes. So you... Oh yeah. And we got a wagon. There's a wagon. It's uh, like a van or a pickup somewhere that you go down to get one load and then go back and get another. Man, I wish we had a van or a pickup. Uh, yeah. My sous chef, uh, like Mark and I, but like it's, I say and I, it's 85 to 95% Mark, and I'll go pick up some stragglers sometimes. Um, 
uh, does all of the hauling. Uh, so we have a really wonderful resource down here um, by the name of Karen Beverlin, uh, who works for one of the like produce purveyors in town, but she specifically deals with market buying. Mm. So like, we have been working with her for a really long time because she gets the produce list before we do. No. So it kind of gives us you know not an unfair edge but it allows us to like have the conversations where it's just like it's like hey like that grape you really likes in or order up like order up on this the season's about to die yeah you know? so yeah. we have somebody who it's like we can go every week and we have all the communicate or as much communication as we have but then we also have somebody who's like super direct you know one-on-one -on -one communication with like the farmers uh, just like on a whole nother level. So it allows us to kind of really like harness the market instead of, you know, it's one thing to go and be like, oh, this looks great. Let's see how much I can buy. Because there's so much product that never hits the table. You know, so many farms like are bringing so much goods in that it was all sold via pre-order, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like being able to have that angle to be like, okay, like when I'm going to the market, like most of what we're doing is we're picking up and, you know, just taking in products that we've already ordered. And then because we are not focusing on every single table at, you know, kind of with that mindset, it allows us to like keep our eyes open to see what's new or, you know, see what looks better than it did the week before, or is there a new farm there or, you know, what, you know, what everybody else is hauling away on their carts. Well, what about proteins? Um, you know, the, the, the meats and, and eggs and, and um, you know, just general protein availability and, and so forth. How do you keep on top of that? That is significantly more difficult. Um, the market or at the market, there's a, a woman, Meredith Bell, who does Autonomy Farms, uh, which is primarily poultry, um, but also some lamb as well. That's um that's yeah is she has like her space down here and we get right now we're getting all of our uh, chickens from her they're really fantastic um there's another guy who just this past year has started being at the market uh steve sutton of transparency farms he's a like a local sustainable um shrimp farmer uh mm -hmm. super great guy really you know, really knows what he's doing. Um, I've gotten lamb from a few different farms. Uh, you know, the most fun thing with that is, you know, 100% that like it's springtime, you know, you're getting, getting lamb in the spring, you know, they're not being like cycled on like a, you know, more of like a ranch style setting. Like these are people that have, you know, small farms with some lambs. Yeah. Um, same with pork. We've been able to get some, um there's not i guess autonomy also does beef but it's not as geared uh toward commercial uh so it's a little bit i think that's kind of the, the bigger hurdle is like a lot of the small farms that have these really amazing proteins it's more of like you can do like a whole animal you know not like oh hey give me you know 200 pounds of this one cut right Right. You know, because it's, if, you know, if people don't know, you know, like a cow only has two tenderloins, you mm -hmm. know, so if they're only, 
taken a few cows like like into slaughter and to be processed you know i'm not going to be able to get a lot of them so you might have a side of beef or something and you can you know start working on taking it apart and saying what all would we got to work with here a certain number of steaks and then the whole thing and you you're pretty much using everything you can from head to tail at one point or another you know beef is my uh is the grail being able to get like a quarter or a half of a cow is the one thing I have not done. Mm. Um, but we do that with lamb. We do that with uh, pigs, all of the, yeah, all of the chicken that we get, they're all whole. Um, the majority, I mean, I can say all of the fish that we've been processing for like the past three years have all come to us as whole fish. Um, so we really try to, we want, that's what is the goal. You know, it's like you're buying whole products and then doing the processing so you can dictate how much waste there is or, you know, even ending up with a little bit, you break something down and you notice you've got like a bigger pile of waste than you want, then it gives you the opportunity to try to come up with a creative solution, um, you know, mm-hmm. so that way you don't have any waste. You know, when you're paying so much attention to the supply, it just reminds me a couple of things. On, the, on broad issues, you know, in California, we've had something called Prop 12. That was to uh, be sure that uh, hogs are raised if they have enough space. So there's something called gestation crates that, that uh, sows were kept in and they can't move at all. And they're now being banned in, um, in California uh, for a couple of years now. And they're trying to keep it from coming in from from out of state. I, sus- I suppose those things don't worry you much because when you're dealing with the people that are grass fed or pasture raised or so forth, you know the production practices. Or will you be Im- impacted um, if it's more difficult for meat coming in from out of California? Uh, would that have any impact on you? No. And I mean, this is, I, I think this is a great talking point because one, I think that's something that people often hear a lot about. Uh, meat processing and that it's terrible and the conditions that the animals are raised in and you know kind of all of those things but we don't really buy from any ranches of that scale Um, when you're eating proteins at you know like the tasting kitchen you're getting proteins that are from small you know smaller ranches even if they're not still like single family owned kind of a thing like they're not massive um you know, we've gotten a lot of beef from like Flannery, which is up kind of closer to you outside of San Francisco. Uh, and they did a really awesome thing where they took an old, all of their uh, beef is Holstein, which is like typically, you know, just for dairy. Yeah. Uh, but it's all grass fed and is a really great product. And then for pork, we work really closely with um, Heritage USA, uh, which is out of the Midwest. But even they're kind of like, their, you know, their reason for being is to save small farms. So they really do like a tremendous job of providing an outlet for all of these, you know, small, mostly, um, you know, pig farmers to you know, be able to get their product out without having to, you know, worry about raising hybrids or, you know, kind of all of the, the extra steps that, you know, lead to make their lives a little bit easier. Like they can do it like a little bit of the harder way. And then I can get the product. That's a little bit more unique. Yeah. Those heritage breeds, they can do like Berkshire 
Duroc crosses or Tamworth, and then they get some of these really hairy breeds that I don't understand that are from Hungary. And, yeah, yeah. And those are those are written. It's a really interesting beef breeds coming in too. So I'm really a, a fan of what the of that heritage heritage genetics. But you know one one thing that I was looking over your background, and I noticed your dad was a chef. And that, and that you were, you as a kid would tag along to the farmer's market. Um, that must be interesting. I mean, I would, I would think you ever, when you're, you're pulling the carts down through the Santa Monica farmer's market to, um, to be able to curate tasting menus and you see these little kids tagging along, going to the, going to the market with their parents. Does it ever occur to you? That was me one day. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a pretty, like fortunate place, I guess, when it comes to being in an environment that supports small business and small farms um, from Eugene, Oregon, like up in the Willamette Valley. And it was more of, there's a lot of just like closer to co-op style grocery stores that even, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Or even when you're buying produce there, you're buying it from local farms. Um, The farmer's market there is always really tremendous. Uh, and it was just always, yeah, like when it's, it's not year round because, you know, their weather isn't nearly as wonderful and accessible when it comes to being outside all of the time as it is for us down here. Um, but it was always just, you know, just kind of what was done. We just always did farmer's market. We always bought fish from local fish marker uh, mongers. We always bought our beef at the butcher shop. It was, you know, it was. I don't know. It was like, you don't know it's a thing until you learn it's a thing. Yeah. It was kind of like part of it was just kind of the way um, that my parents shopped, mm-hmm. you know, like, so. Yeah. Well, you know, the West coast is, is pretty much Mediterranean climate and, you know, they got a little more weather to contend with up in Oregon than, than you do in, in LA of a different, different types, but it also is why it's so much more similar to literally the Mediterranean Right. Uh, that not that much different than than the markets in Spain and Italy and, and Greece. Um, and even on both sides, even the Tunisia and, you know, Lebanon and and um, you, you've had that experience and now it's spreading all over the country. So they're trying to do the same thing. And I'm, I'm curious, when you look at curating a tasting menu, do you keep track of what's happening not only in your neighborhood or your competitors, but is there a sense of it's happening uh, throughout the United States, even in those areas that it's a little tougher for them to be able to source locally than you might be in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, I think what you see now is even places that, uh, you know, where they don't have the access, but they have the square footage, they just have their own farm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like I've got uh, a buddy uh, like John who used to work with me, who's now at. Um, he's like back. I don't remember. I think he's in he's in Illinois outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the restaurant that he's running, they're raising their own pigs. Yeah, you know he's got his own farm, so it's like you know, it's to the whole next level, mm-hmm. uh, which is also you know something that was really. I would say like pioneered by uh, like Dan Barber at Blue Hill Stone Barn. Sure. Is it like creating your own ecosystem? I mean, like, this is what we serve. Yeah. It's what we grow. We don't, you know, it's like we're only, or, you know, I'm sure that they still buy some product. Um, 
but I don't know. So I'm not really going to speak to it. Uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of that thing of like, we're, I think like a po in a post food revolution state, when I think that for me, I think it would be weird to go to a place and eat food and have it not be at least some of it being locally sourced. Right. Like we're like, the, we're beyond the point where that should even be a talking point anymore. That should just be, yeah. you know, like what, you know, it's kind of like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you? The, it's so easy. You know, I've cooked with a chef from Chile who came up and we did like a dinner together. Um, and that was one of the things that he said about the market. It was just like, this is so easy. They are here. You just go and pick it up. It was like for, and he's in uh, his chef restaurant is called La Mesa in Patagonia. But he was saying that like, he's like, I work closely with farmers all the time, but I have to go to the farm. Right. So I talk with them. They, you know, we talk about what they're going to grow and how much of it I'm going to want. And then I go and pick it up. You know, it's interesting because we've, I see it go both ways here, like in California, because some people that were farming themselves, say, for example, uh, like David Kench at uh, Manresa, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he had, uh, I've had a couple great meals there uh, and he had a farm. And then I think he went through a time that he didn't have a farm or wasn't using it because he didn't need to. I mean, when you're surrounded with people like at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market, whereas your friend in Chicago might have had a harder time you know, sourcing everything. And so being a farmer, you know, was, was an option as well. So it's just an interesting dynamic. I, I, you know, you have to be though, affected eventually by climate change as well. I'm, I'm just wondering whether when you look at um, the drought that we're in, in California, which may, depending on who you listen to, it may be the biggest drought in a thousand years, and um, instead of having the normal kind of, you know, three years or so of drought or four, that we may be looking at 20 some years and it's going to affect the food supply. Do you it expect already, it to have any impact on you? It already is. A hundred percent. We, I think that's, I'm, you know, I think it's one of the things that allows, like we see it firsthand because we're seeing the people that are affected it's not like oh farms are struggling it's you know the crops are down it's you're at the market and you're like and you talk to them you've been like hey how are things we're like it's so hot we don't have any water yeah you know like this is the winter we're supposed to have water we don't have water it's not even summertime like we're you know like like we're scared now Mm -hmm. that like it's what it's going to be like we had um another one of my favorite people to buy from uh like don and james at florabella last year had to shut the farm down not you know while they dug a new well mm. because their uh their like storage ponds dried up three months early because it never we didn't get the rainfall they didn't get the snow melt like there was just nothing and that's 120 miles ish um you know like away from la you know 
I think that it's important to recognize that Los Angeles is also in the middle of a desert. So, you know, the fact that we have access to all of this food in itself is a miracle. Um, but it also means that, yeah, like when we don't, when our rain doesn't hit, it's dramatic. You know, you know we touch dramatic. when we touch on issues like this. I'm, I'm just wondering, does it ever show up in the restaurant? I mean, again, people, do people ever say anything to you about it or ask about some of these issues? You know, mentioned already animal welfare. I think we've we've mentioned the fact that you uh, you know the farming practices of, and and so forth. Uh, and and then we got broad issues like drought. Um, I would guess most people come to the restaurant for a great experience and they're they're not ready to get into a big debate or anything. But but do you do you get any feedback or concerns expressed from your customers about you know the quantity or quality or anything like that of of the food that's used to create these tasting experiences? Um I am sure that there are some guests that have a you know a, a well-rounded view of the situation as like you're describing. Um, I think also one of the things that you might find it more in a smaller community. I think part of the, of the, not the disconnect, but um, I don't know, Los Angeles is a major metropolis. Sure. I find that when you are in a metropolis, you don't you don't have no people, but you may have less people that are uh, as attuned to these things as you would find like in a smaller community that has like a direct, um, you know, kind of like cause and effect mm -hmm. when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's obviously, I think a lot of people do understand and, you know, like, like when I go out to eat, I make sure that I'm eating at places that have that line up with my, you know, call it food ethics. Um, because that's kind of, you know, like what we're talking about. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not super interested in dining places that have big freezers and are ordering, you know, prefabricated products. Like I want to eat at places that are creating, you know, creating food, creating experience, and that are also being mindful, um, you know, where their money's spent. Right. You know, I think that's all as it takes, you know, a community to keep that sort of like progression alive. So it's, you know, those are the places that when I go to, you know, I feel good about spending my money. You know, we should tell people how they could see your, see your menu. Uh, and, and perhaps somebody will stop and visit you sometime as, uh, as a result of this, but, but, um, where do people find information about the restaurant in case they want to come and visit or just get better ideas of what you're putting on the menu? Well, um, I mean, we, our website, uh, you know, tastingkitchen.com provides some of the information. Um, our menu isn't very wordy, so it doesn't provide a tremendous amount um, of information about where things are coming from. Yeah. Um, mostly because there's a lot of items on it and we just don't have the space to give all of that information. Um, every now and then, you know, I'll, I'm always trying to be better with social media, uh, but I, I love doing posts 
or you know would love to do more posts that you know kind of like show the dish and then have all of the people that are responsible for it credited um because i think that that's you know an important part you know just like but the transparency of the farms at the or the farmers at the farmers market um i like to also be able to have that transparency like at the restaurant where when somebody's eating something like oh where did you get this it's not like oh that's a secret it's like oh go to this farm stand ask for this person this is the name of that product you know, you know so I, when I, I looked at your menu online, and I, that's kind of what I thought too, because I had the feeling it's brief, it all looks really good of what you have. But I just thought you could probably write a page about everything you had in there if you had the space. Um, we could write a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because you have the story. I mean, I think that yeah. why you chose what you chose, where it came from, who the farmer was, and I love stories. And that's the reason I do podcasts is I I love stories, but I know it's not practical for to fill the to fill the menus up. But it also predisposes, I think, your customers to saying that I just trust them. You know, they don't they don't suspect they're not going to uh, some chain that may or may not be uh, bringing food in from around the world from countries that may not have high specs or or you know some of the things that would you know give people pause if they knew the whole story. I would imagine everybody walking in your door is uh, extremely trusting. They've had a good experiences and they're, they have no doubt that you're, you're sourcing, you know where it's coming from, you know something about the farmer, you know what's unique about the variety and its production practices and all of those things. So that's gotta be worth a lot, just walking in the door that they come in with a sense of, I'm ready to trust you know, you know, what Chef Travis is going to be putting on the plate for me today. It's immeasurable how much that trust means. It cannot be quantified. Um, it's definitely, I mean, that's, it was interesting to hear you put it that way because like you haven't been down, but that's a hundred percent the backbone of what we do is operate off of trust. You know, like we, have like every you know restaurant that's been around 12 13 years as we have we have a collection of uh, house classics um you know it probably makes up about say like 20 to 30 percent of the menu um and then the rest is changes changes on a whim you know changes on a on a good market day and you know, maybe it changes on a bad market day you know like it's it's uh it gets a good amount of fluctuation and that's really, you know, the only thing that we like ask of people is to, you know, it's like, let's give it a, you know, give us a shot. Well, I want to give it a I, shot. I promise, you know, I promise that we, we work really hard at it. You know, that's the yeah. one thing that I could say. It sounds like, and I want to wrap up and, and ask you, if you're looking down the road for restaurants like yours, uh, do you see, uh, you know, curating tasting menus do you see any changes in the near term i mean if you were going to go ahead look ahead like four or five years to what you hope it is what what's about the business how it might have evolved or maybe hasn't evolved um what's your feelings about the future of doing what you're doing um frankly it's uh it's gonna get a lot more expensive uh, a lot more what expensive oh yeah yeah uh, the cost of labor you know has gone up a significant amount 
um, the rising cost in not, I mean, food products ebb and flow, um, but all of the other stuff, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those little like little mini graphics that people put together, but you know, like paper, like rubber gloves, you know, are four times more expensive than they were two years ago. You know, chemicals for the dishwasher, to-go containers, paper towels, um, all of the products that you don't really associate with cost at a restaurant. You know, the things that we just kind of have to have, or not have to have, the things that we want to have. Um, You know, so we can have clean plates and clean hands and, you know, safe bathrooms and all of that kind of stuff. Um, The operating cost is skyrocketing. And I think there's going to be a point in time in which there is a, like a hard reckoning um, in which it's just going to cost more. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm afraid you're right. There's one thing that is different uh, than say, comparing you to some other businesses, you're already sourcing locally. Um, Because if you look at some of the companies and some of the businesses that are facing harder times and much more expenses for their products, uh, when they're trying to work at a supply channel chain that right. is bringing uh, bringing food from or whatever they're making from all over the world and bringing in assembling here, um, you know, for for them trying to do more stuff local would be good. You're already doing almost as much as you possibly can. We're doing pretty much as yeah. I mean, I probably I always let's say there's probably like uh, you know there's always there's always room for improvement. Um, but we, we try really hard. Well, I, it sounds to me like you're improving all, all the time. And I, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about the tasting kitchen and Jeff Travis Pazzarotti. Sounds like you're doing great jobs. I can't wait to come by and see you sometime when I'm down in the LA area uh, again. Uh, keep up the good work and thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. It was wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. And, you know, Keep talking the farm to table talk. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 